continues with what Lars began with, the parable of the sower. And we'll pick back up with verse 13 and go from there. I divided that in a really awkward place. Excuse me for that. I meant for Lars to read the whole part of the the first go-through of the parable, but oh well. So Lars explained, uh, Jesus explained, we had seed that fell on a path, birds ate it up, other seed falls among, um, or rather on rocky places, it's too shallow, and other seed falls among thorns, and those thorns choke the plants. Okay, so verse 8 then, uh, what else does the Lord Jesus say? He says, still other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop. A hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let him hear. The disciples came to him and asked, Why do you speak to the people in parables? He replied, Because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. This is why I speak to them in parables. And then he quotes the Old Testament prophecy. Uh, Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. But, verse 16, blessed are your eyes because they see, and your ears because they hear. For truly, I tell you, many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed along the path. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy, But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So, um, one of my friends here at the evening service, who I don't think is here tonight, um, for Christmas gave me a book by a French author, a journalist and playwright, Um, named Emmanuel Carrère, and he wrote a book called The Kingdom, The Kingdom. And 
This book is, most of it anyway, is a reflection on his attempt to be Catholic. After a long time of being uninterested in Christianity, all of a sudden he converted, became a Catholic. And he started off super, super committed. He journaled his way through John's gospel and wrote 13 volumes, not pages, but volumes, 13 journals worth of commentaries on what he was reading in the, in the gospel of John. He went to mass not once a week, but every day. He went to confession. He went on spiritual retreats. He was dead serious about this, right? But then by the time he got to the end of John's gospel, three years had passed. And three years after he started, he stopped following Jesus. And as he tells in his memoir, as he's flipping over through the last pages of the 13th volume of his journal, he wrote, Lord, I am forsaking you. Please don't forsake me. How about that? And so then his memoir is looking back years later on this period of his life where he was intensely following Jesus as best as he knew how, when he was super excited to be Catholic. And he's trying to understand how he got so excited about something and then got so unexcited about it by the end. Well, it happened that in Jesus' own ministry, this same sort of thing happened with people, right? Many people started out following him enthusiastically. But on the whole, most of the people that heard what he had to say rejected him. Some followed him for a little while and then dropped out. And by the time we get to the middle of John's gospel, where we are tonight, some people who, maybe some that were following him or at least interested earlier, are already planning to arrest and to do away with Jesus. And then if you think about Matthew, years after these events, writing his gospel account, Matthew is also looking around his own community. And he's looking at people who used to be there and aren't there anymore, who've stopped following Jesus. He's looking maybe at the people that come and sit in the pews every week. I don't think they had pews, but let's just say they did. We don't even have pews. Anyway, chairs. They've, they're coming to the gatherings. But he's not seeing committed, fruitful discipleship. For some people, it was just a phase, and for other people, it still seems like it's a phase, and not much is happening. In Jesus' day, when he says this parable, he's just gone through a season where lots of rejection has happened, and lots of people have fallen away. And so the disciples are coming to Jesus, and they're saying, Jesus, please, explain all of this to us. Tell us something that will make us feel better about this tiny little movement that you've started. Tell us why we're hooking ourselves onto such a small crowd of dedicated disciples. When so many other people have managed to just keep going on with their lives as if the Messiah has not even come. Jesus, help us make sense of all this. And then Jesus has their attention and he hears their questions and he can see the concern in their eyes. 
And so he tells them a story. So there was an American presidential candidate when I was growing up named Bill Clinton, and he became president. And when he was running for president, um, one of the things he said that kind of became his motto was, it's the economy, stupid which is kind of a funny way to get people to vote for you. Call them stupid, right? But his thing was, the reason you should vote for me is if you want America to, to prosper economically. It's the economy, stupid. And in a way, when we're talking about the kingdom and the way that it works, this story of Jesus is an economics lesson as well. Is the kingdom working, the disciples want to know? Or is it broken, and what are you going to do, Jesus, to fix it? For Jesus, the econ economics of the kingdom are not about, you know, oil and industry, but they're about farming, because he lived in first century Palestine. But again, the disciples, they're listening to a story, but really they're looking for a slogan, right? Sort of a, it's a, the economy, stupid, we're going to turn this thing around, speech from Jesus, something they can take home with them. And so as they're hearing the story and then hearing him explain it again, maybe they're coming up with slogans. This is what Jesus means. Maybe they're first hearing him say, it's the soil, stupid. That's the problem, right? Jesus talks about a path. The seed goes onto the path. The seed can't get buried down in the soil. And so the birds come along and they snatch it up and fly away. No fruit. People are exposed to the real thing, to the word of God, Jesus says. But just coming into contact with seed doesn't mean a plant is going to come up. And Jesus says there in verse 9, or rather 19, that the problem is a lack of understanding. And by this, of course, he doesn't mean like intellectual problems. They could comprehend things intellectually but they were unable to see the kingdom that they had just bumped up into. And then Jesus says, other seed falls on rocky soil. Verse 20, he explains, all this growth happens really fast and it shoots straight up, but none of the growth happens downward. Everything looks impressive, but it's not going to stand up straight for very long. Verse 21, eventually it'll fall away. And the thing that he says exposes the rootlessness of this enthusiastic, fast-growing plant, he says, is trouble or persecution. In other words, people find out that you're following Jesus. It starts to impact your career, your friendships. You're suddenly the target of insults. And with no roots, with only a bunch of initial excitement, Jesus says, you don't have the staying power to make it. And then he says, other seed falls on thorny ground. Jesus says, verse 22, that the thorns choke the growth, and these thorns are the cares of the world. Wealth and comfort and power and recognition and these kinds of things. And his point is that nothing can grow out of your heart when these kinds of things are wrapped all around your heart. And so the disciples are thinking, oh, we get it. And thank you, by the way, Jesus, for explaining it to us. He doesn't always do that. 
He's telling us, it's the soil, stupid. Be careful of the soil. And at one level, it is. The disciples are right. If the soil's not good, the plant is not going to last. Then you can almost hear the disciples sort of talking about this for the next couple of days, and they've had a couple of days to think about it. And they think, you know what? Maybe the real difference is not the soil. Maybe the real difference between people like me, you know, who stick with Jesus and people who don't follow Jesus, maybe it's something else. It's the fruit, stupid, they start thinking. Maybe we even, if we're following Jesus, we start to look around and we see people who used to seem like they were excited about Jesus and now they've kind of quit. Some of these people, I mean, I could name some people that have been in my life, have really wrecked their lives and the lives of other people after it seemed like they were following Jesus for a while. And so it's easy to think, oh, it's the fruit, stupid. It's the fruitless folks. The difference is there's fruit there and there's not over here. And it's true in a sense. You'll know people by their fruits. The point of the plant, of course, is not just to be there in the field. I mean, I guess if you're a painter, you look out over the field. I think on the way to Patty's house one time, I, I got off at the wrong bus stop and I had to walk through your field and there were all the yellow flowers? Those ones. And, you know, to me, I'm just a pedestrian and this is beautiful. If I was an artist, I would draw it. Or painted. If I was a cyclist, I would make sure to cycle through those fields, right? But for the farmer, the point is not, this looks pretty. For the farmer, the point is, let's have a harvest here. You want fruit from your plants. And so sometimes church folks start to compare and contrast their lives with non-church folks. We see some examples of fruitless and really messed up lives and we think well if their hearts were ever exposed to the seed it sure didn't result in fruit but the reality is that if church folks are honest there's examples out there of people who love and serve the poor who are gentle and encouraging to their children right who have lived maybe some of them have intentionally lived a life of singleness in order to dedicate themselves to caring for refugees or something. And they're not even following Jesus. <laughs> Meanwhile, we look around the church, we look even at ourselves, and here we are, we're people that have heard a thousand sermons and said a thousand prayers. And we've got people here who are addicted to people's praise, to pornography, to PCP. I'm just thinking of P's here, right? to prophets, and all kinds of other things. And so suddenly, it's the fruit, stupid. That can't be all that Jesus is meaning by this. If we church folks are honest about our own lives and the little fruit that we sometimes see in them, we start to think, well, there's got to be something else to this. Because if it's the fruit, stupid, is the point then am I even following Jesus? Okay. Yes, 
the soil quality is part of the equation. It's important, right? Yes, the fruit is the purpose of the plant. Mm -hmm. But can that be the only point? And so we take another look. If we're the disciples, we think it over a little bit more. Maybe we bug Jesus about it a couple days later. And then it makes sense. We see it. We've been forgetting this part the whole time. We've been focusing on the soil, on us. Good soil, on them, bad soil. On us, good fruit, usually, hopefully. On them, bad fruit. Sometimes, maybe. But we've forgotten one part of the parable here. The seed. The seed. And so they start to think, it's the seed, stupid. It's the seed, stupid. A couple of things happen to us when we realize it's the seed, stupid. First, you're embarrassed, right? Because we've been thinking about ourselves and we've been comparing ourselves to others. But all this time, Jesus has not been talking first and foremost about us and others, but about himself, as he always does, and actually also about his heavenly father, who he loves to talk about. What's the seed? It's the word, Jesus tells us. Not just the good news that Jesus has been announcing that the kingdom of heaven has now come down to earth, but also that he, Jesus, the word, is the king of heaven, and he's come to earth to reign. And this is what Israel has been hoping for. And now it's here. Jesus is the seed. Jesus is the word. And that makes then the person who is sowing the seed, who? It makes it his father who is in heaven. And so we feel embarrassed. How did I not see this? I was obsessing about soil and fruit. And there's the seed. After the embarrassment wears off, we start to think about ourselves again. We kind of can't help but do that, right? It's a problem, but it's natural. But we think of ourselves now in a new light because we've listened to the parable and thought about it. And we start to feel a deep sense of inadequacy. Why? Well, I'm not a farmer. Uh, I barely go outdoors. So I had to read about this. The scholars are telling us that in Jesus' day, a good, solid harvest would be about seven and a half fold. In other words, you've got one bushel of seed, a solid harvest would be 7.5 bushels of wheat, grain, right? If you had a year where you had 10 bushels for every seed that you, or for every bushel of seed, you would call all your friends and have a huge party because you'd be like, this is a bumper crop. This is, this is like heaven on earth. Ten times would be amazing. It would be more than you could hope for. But did you notice what Jesus says? Verse 8. 30, 60, 100 times. Verse 23 again. 30, 60, 100 times what was sown. 100 bushels of harvest for every bushel of wheat. 
of seed that's sown? Incredible. So you can see why we start to feel inadequate, right? Because we realize that so far, the fruit in our lives is pretty modest, right? Maybe after a while of of really following Jesus closely, after the seed has been in the soil of our hearts for a good while, it's grown a bit, maybe there starts to be signs of a decent crop, right? Like, it's not total crop failure like famine in the Near East or anything like that. There's a few bushels of wheat. But we know that the sower of the seed is not aiming to just merely avoid famine, right? The sower is not even aiming at a good harvest. The sower is completely certain that what he sows will result in a ridiculous harvest. 30-fold, again, this is my wife's department, not mine, this math thing, but 30-fold is three times bigger than a great harvest. 100-fold is 10 times bigger than anything you would want to expect. And you think, my life is so normal. My fruitfulness is so average at best. And at this point, Jesus taps his disciples on the shoulder again 20 centuries ago. Maybe he taps us on the shoulder tonight. And he says, you're thinking about yourself again here. You keep doing that. And we say, I know, Peter and James and John say, I know. And Jesus says, remember what you said. It was a good slogan. It's the seed, stupid. Don't forget that part. What accounts for the 30-fold, the 60-fold, the 100-fold harvest? It's not the soil, even though the soil's important. Path, the seed's eaten by birds birds, no fruit. Stony, quick growth, no roots. Strong winds, no fruit. Thorny, seeds start to grow, but choked, no fruit. Fourth example, good soil, decent crop. No, that's not, that's not the way the parable goes. 100 fold, perhaps. So it can't be the soil. There must be something about the seed. And there is. God the Father has sown his son, the Lord Jesus, the seed. And the seed looks and is small. Once it drops into the ground, you can hardly see it. It gets buried. It dies. It's not looking like anything at all is going to happen. And then suddenly, a sprout, a little stalk the first signs of leaves. Give it a little while and there's grain. And so Jesus is saying to his followers then and and to us now, look, I want you to be good soil. In fact, I will plow through the hard ground of your hearts and break it up and make sure that the seed gets in there. But when it does, and when you can't see it anymore, Even when you can't see me anymore, Jesus says, you've got to trust me. Because I won't just bring forth fruit in the field of your hearts and in your lives. It's not going to be a decent harvest. That's not what I'm aiming for. 
because my father has not sown a decent seed. I am a supernatural seed, Jesus says. I'm planted by a supernatural farmer. And I'm planted into soil that, by my goodness, I will make supernaturally fruitful. So that one day, what will come out of our lives is 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold what was sown. Friends, let's be honest. We look at ourselves. Even we look around the church. And so far, it doesn't look like much is coming out of our lives. But between time and eternity, between this life and then the next life, when the sower has really accomplished what he set out to do in you and in us, you will be able to say, I can't believe it, but a hundredfold. Are you kidding me? In this soil? It must be the seed. There's something about that seed. Willing to be sown. Willing to be sown into my heart and life. To be sown into the world. The world where he like a seed does, died for our fruitfulness, only to spring up from the earth in resurrection and abundant life for us. There is something about the generosity of the sower and the patience of the sower too. There's something about the sower's power so that on that last day, we're going to look around and simply say to each other, aren't you so glad that he made your heart and my heart a soft and receptive field where his seed would be planted. Aren't you so glad that when the good news of Jesus, of God's present kingdom in Jesus, came to your ears and to your life, you and I were somehow able to recognize its reality and then to begin in small, humble ways to live in that reality? Friends, Don't look around and compare yourself and contrast your soil quality to other people. Don't look around and compare your fruitfulness to other people. Here's our job. It's the seed, stupid. Open your heart and receive the seed. And don't allow, if you can help it, anything to choke it or to keep its roots from sinking down deep into your heart and your life. Receive it, all the power for the abundant harvest of fruitfulness, both now and in eternity, is contained where? In that seed, in the Lord Jesus. And the sower has sown that seed into this world, and some of it, thank God, has fallen into the soil of our hearts. This is so good because, yes, we need to do all the things that a farmer does. Take care of the soil. Get rid of the weeds. We look for fruit. It's encouraging when we see it. But it's not the soil, stupid. and It's not the, the, uh, the fruit, stupid. <laughs> it's the seed. And it is the wisdom of God that he would plant something so small, but something so powerful 
into people like us. Hang on tight to the Lord Jesus. And he'll keep you. And you will bear. He promises it. You will bear lots and lots of fruit. Heavenly Father, we ask that this would be true in our lives in ways that we can only begin to anticipate today. We see so little, but we've seen you and you are good and magnificent. So we want to respond to your love and your grace now. As we sing, we pray that you would lift our spirits and remind us that you're capable of generating so much fruit in our lives. Bear fruit in us, please, for we trust in you. You're the good seed sown by a good sower, and that's all we need. So we ask it in your name, Jesus. Amen. stand with us as we sing a song of response, yet not I, but through Christ in me.